Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's stand today, and, and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to make a mess. <laughs> Father, we just ask in the mighty name of Jesus for the Holy Spirit to come and rattle us. Let the Spirit of God come and move in such power and such anointing and such authority in us and through us that the world will forever be changed because our lives were changed. Lord, we have come to realize there's a lot of things we don't need in church anymore, but there's one thing we need, and that is Holy Spirit being poured out through Jesus upon us, God. We cannot endeavor to do anything more without the Holy Spirit. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be welcome here in me and in every life, that you would be welcome in our children, welcome in our marriages, welcome in this city, that, Lord, you would begin to move in such a way between all the congregations of this area, Lord God, that the power of the Holy Spirit would unite where it was impossible for men to unite. Would you do your work now, Lord? I pray for the sovereignty of God to move in this place. I pray, God, not because we earned it or we're good enough or because we've done all the right things or because I prayed and sought you for a long time. I pray you move because you are God and you love your people and you want to move upon your people today. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. We're going to be in Ezekiel uh, chapter 37. I'm so glad that Brian came as a forerunner for me today. And if you were here last week, you would have gotten a, uh, an amazing message on Ezekiel. And, and here's what I got out from Brian's message. You can be in two places at the same time. And Ezekiel is going to show us what it's like to live in exile, but his vision isn't there at all. He may be in exile, but his heart is on what God is going to do. Amen? And as long as we live in a place where we're not seeing the fullness of what God wants to do, our job is to keep our eyes on what God would do as we live in the land that we live in. Amen? Because what will happen is discouragement is the greatest enemy of the church. Discouragement can keep two million people from their promise from ten bad reports Ten men can cause two million people to miss out on their promise. Discouragement is that deadly. It's the most deadly, it's the most deadly disease you'll ever know. It's the big D. Discouragement kills churches faster than anything else. And it's interesting that God will use people in the depths of their discouragement and despair to lift up their eyes and show them something that he wants to do. Amen? So I just want to talk to you about Ezekiel. First of all, Ezekiel, his name literally means Yahweh strengthens, God strengthens. And it's interesting, he's, he, he's a prophet in the time of, of Israel's most desperate captivity. They, they've gone into captivity. He, he, he's a priest. And actually, he's a priest of the order of Zadok priesthood. And if you study Ezekiel at all, it's one of my favorite books. Kids, I don't know why I tend to be an Old Testament Christian sometimes. But, but, but he's one of my favorite books. And here's why. Because if you study Zadok, Zadok was a faithful priest to David. And it carries through and it splits into two priesthood. The Abiathar priesthood and the Zadok priesthood. 
And in the Zadok priesthood, this is the priesthood where even Ezekiel says in Ezekiel, I think it's chapter 44, it says, he says, the other priests that went away from me, from the Abarthar priesthood, that they, they can minister to the people. But the Zadok priesthood, you can minister to me the fat and the blood. You get to approach me. You see, there's pastors that can basically feed all the people they want, but God is looking for pastors that know how to feed on him. He's looking for people that are able to minister the fat and the blood that comes near to Jesus, that draws near. And there was a separation of priesthood. It was it's just an amazing thing. And so Ezekiel comes out of this Zadok priesthood and is this set-apart, godly priest. And he's taken away captive. And in chapter 3, we find out God begins to do something to this priest because before then, he's not a prophet. And the Spirit of God comes upon Zadok, or, or comes upon Ezekiel, and, and he begins to prophesy, and God begins to call him into a new ministry. And can I suggest to you that some of you, your ministries are going to start changing? And the reason why they're going to start changing is because you've given yourself an intimacy to God. You've given yourself and you've labored before Jesus. And as you've labored before Jesus, he begins to put new mantles on you and new authority on you for things that need to happen because he needs men and women set apart for him. Men and women have a heart after God more than anything else. And if you don't have a heart for God, it doesn't matter how charismatic you are. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. God looks at the heart, period. That's what he's going after. And I want to challenge all of us in this room. If you're going to be a priest for the Lord, be a Zadok priest. Be a priest that says, I want intimacy. I want to come into the throne. I want to minister to God. It's a whole different thing. Does that make sense? So, 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 so he begins to get these doom prophecies. And we always love the doom prophecies, right? They, you know, it's like you guys are living in sin and God's going to have to chastise you. And, and the first part, the first 20-something uh, chapters of, of Ezekiel is, has a lot to do with God chastening his people that he loves so much because they have basically rejected him and went after idolatry. And, and here's one of the things I want to be careful with us today. I want you to understand something that God disciplines those he loves. He just has to. If he loves you, he's going to discipline you. That's proof that he loves you, by the way. If you want to know if God loves you and you're going through it, maybe it's because he loves you you're going through it. Maybe it's not always the devil's fault for everything that happens in life, right? I think we blame the devil for way too much of things that we actually sowed into. And so, but something shifts in, in chapter 33. After he's, he's pronounced the judgments and the captivity and those things, God gives him a new message, and that is the restoration of Israel, of the temple, of what he's going to do. And we see even in chapter 36, he introduces the first of New Testament principles when he says, I'm going to put a new heart and I'm gonna take the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'm gonna breathe my, pour my spirit upon you in those days. And that's literally the forerunner for everything you and I sit here and live in today. He's, he's literally prophesying what we have received. Hundreds of years before, he's declaring that God, because here's the truth. You can't legislate morality. Otherwise, the law would have worked. Jesus would not have had to come if the law of Moses could be fulfilled. But it couldn't, because you can't legislate morality, but you can change a heart. And when God breathes on the heart, the heart gets changed. And when the heart gets changed, guess what? You get new and right desires. You desire to follow God. There's a hunger that is created. The Holy Spirit is the only one 
that can create that in your life. And so in, 30, in Ezekiel 36, he begins to, 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 to God does this. And, and here's an interesting thing of 36, just a little extra because you guys like extra, right? You guys like, you know, extra butter on your potatoes, extra cheese curds on your plate, right? The extra is this. God says, I'm not going to do it because you're any good. He says, I'm going to do it for my own namesake. Ezekiel 36 says, I'm not doing this because you guys are so awesome. I'm doing this for my name. I'm doing this. In spite of you, I'm going to pour my spirit out on you. So that takes the pressure off. You know why? Because we can't impress God with our spirituality, but we can be open for him to pour out his spirit upon broken vessels. Amen? I love that. I, I, I used to think I could earn what God could give. But, but, but he teaches us in Ezekiel 36, literally, God says, I'm not going to do this, Israel, for your sake. I'm going to do it for my name's sake. And I'm going to pour out my spirit on you, give you new and right desires. And of course, his, the way he does it is he sends Jesus, right? So, so now we're in Ezekiel 37. And the thing about Ezekiel is he's had a tough life. During captivity, in chapter 24, God says this to him. Verses 15, and we won't read it, but he says it, he says this, he says, I am going to take away the desire of your life, your wife, tomorrow. So he's lost everything, including his wife, and he says, and here's what he said, you don't get to mourn. You have to mourn in silence, and I want you to be an example to all of Israel. They're not allowed to mourn for the sin that they've lived in. And it's interesting, think about it, he's lost his wife. He, the, the, the city's been burnt. The, 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 Nehemiah will tell you, did you know it was 100 years that, is, that uh, Jer, 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 Jerusalem literally was burned with fire for over 100 years? It was 100 years before Nehemiah came to, to rebuild the walls. Even though Ezra had been there 15 years and built the temple and, and, or, or come after, after Zechariah built the temple, literally, these people have been living with no gates and no walls and the enemy access to come in for over 100 years. I mean, this thing is destructive. And so, so here's Ezekiel. He's 25 years into the captivity. He loses his wife. He loses everything. But the hand of the Lord is upon him. Can I just stop right there? If you have the hand of the Lord upon your life, you have everything you need. It doesn't matter what you have gone through. The Bible says the hand of the Lord was upon me. Let me tell you about the fear of God just for a moment. Many times when I preach, the Lord puts his hand on my shoulder. And I can feel him when I'm walking around. And this is what he says. He says, be careful because I'm with you. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you do. And I literally, many times, literally feel God's hand on me, literally standing over me saying, I am with you, so you be careful. My hand is on you. You see, Ezekiel had such a fear of God that in the middle of all of his brokenness, he was willing, God was able to give him some of these visions. And in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses one, this is where we're gonna pick it up. It says that the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and he sent me down in the midst of a valley and it was full of bones. So he caused me to pass by them all around and behold, there were very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, oh Lord God, you know. 
Probably one of the smartest answers you can ever give God. When you don't know, you put it back on him, amen? I don't know, you know God, right? But it's interesting, so he takes him to this valley and he shows him all of the death that has been going on for so long that the bones are very dry. They're literally dust and brittle. And here's the thing that God does for him, which, which I thought was interesting. He makes him go all the way around. He takes him all the way around the valley. He shows him the whole situation. And I see here's the point for, for many of us. We don't like to see things sometimes, right? We see something, it's like, ooh, I don't wanna see that. He takes them to show the complete, how bad it really was. He shows them the whole story. Now, I I don't know about you, but many of us, this is why we never get the freedom that we need to get. It's because we know the problem exists, but we don't let the surgeon take a good look. And maybe what needs to happen is we need to let, and by the way, he's the Holy Spirit. He has x-ray eyes. The Bible says that he can go to the marrow of your bone. He He sees it all. When's the last time you let the Lord take a thorough look at your situation and say, God, here am I. Take a look. Whatever you see in me. David said it the best. Search me, God. Try me. Know my ways. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There comes a time that churches and people have to be honest about where they're at in life in order for them to be healed They have to be honest. And I want to encourage you that God gave Ezekiel this picture, and and, and he says, I want you to take a close look at the situation. Now, I don't know about you, but he's already lost his wife. He's in captivity. Israel's burned with fire. Things are not good. And God says, get a good look. And I don't think that God is being mean. I think God is about ready to show him just how impossible things are so he can just see how big God really is. Have you ever wondered why things get so bad before they change sometimes and then all of a sudden the Lord comes in his sovereignty and just does some amazing thing and you look back and you go, I never knew God could do that, right? And I believe for many of us right now, we've seen the church in a slow decline in America for a long time. And we, don't, we can't hardly remember the last time there was a, a national or even a regional outpouring of the spirit where all the churches rallied and God began to do something, right? It's been a long time and yet we know God can do it, right? But what happens, just like a lot of us, is just because we know God will do it, we become discouraged, and, and, and it's kind of like this. I'm preaching another message on revival. How many of you heard lately? And you're like, gosh, this guy, here's another guy talking about revival again. Here's another guy talking about the Spirit of God moving again. Here's another guy, you know, how many of these are we going to sit through? I'm going to preach it until the day I die or until God does it. And I'll tell you why, because there is no other answer. If there was another answer in the last 33 years of my ministry, I probably would have did it because I've done the 40 days of purpose and the, this and all of, I've, I've done all the program and tried all the things and tried to be a Baptocostal and, and try to get everything needed in order. But what I have discovered is, is only when the power of God moves on a people that anything ever shakes or moves. Nothing else changes it. 
You and I, we quit kidding ourselves if we think that without God moving by his sovereign power with the Holy Spirit, nothing will change in this city ultimately. We may have good churches and the world still goes to hell. But it's when God begins to breathe on people like you and I and we just said, no, we are not taking no for an answer. Guess what happens? There's a reason why there was horns on the altar. Because some of us are, are just dumb enough and foolish enough to grab hold of them and say, I'm not letting go. This is the mercy seat and I'm not letting go of the mercy of God because I need God to move, amen? There comes a time many of you and, I, you and I have to be like that, amen? So he asked this question, can these bones live? God paints this incredibly negative picture. This was God, by the way. So many of us, he's like, oh, I can't believe there's this wrong and this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. And, 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 and so we hear all these things, but this is God painting the picture. This isn't the devil. The Lord is telling you how bad it is. Isn't this awful? Look at the bones. This is terrible. This is my people. This isn't the world. This is, this is my people. God's telling him. Then he says this to him, can these bones live? Sometimes God will ask the hardest questions when you're the hardest place. Because how many know that God still is the God of the impossible? No, do you know that God is the God of the impossible? You see, God is the God of the impossible. He does things that make no sense to men. You're not serving a dead, dumb idol. You're serving the true and the living God. You're serving the one that is able to cause bones to come alive. You're the one that is able to walk on water. You, you and I must begin to believe that God can do the impossible. I don't care how many times I pray for somebody at the altar to be healed. If I pray 100 times, I'm going to go for the 101st time. I'm going to have them roll their eyes at me while I pray for them. Why? Because I believe God's still the healer and he always will be the healer. We have discovered at our church as we've gone after God and we've given him a chance to do the impossible, God does the impossible. I can tell you he's given me buildings for free. He's given me stuff. We've seen people healed and saved every service. We see that happen, why? Because God is the God of the impossible. You didn't come to a church to gather and just hear good doctrine. You wanna see God move and do the impossible, amen? I mean, how'd you like to be Abraham and Sarah? She's 90, he's 99, he's meeting with, with the Lord and the angels under the tree, the terrible tree, and he's having a conversation with God and God's reminding him, yes, I didn't forget 25 years ago, you're still going to, in your seed, the, all nations will still be blessed. You're still gonna have a son. And Sarah's in the tent and guess what Sarah's doing? She's looking at this 90-year-old body She's looking at her circumstances. She's heard the promise for 25 years. She's even heard the promise to the point he, she says, well, you might as well use Hagar because obviously nothing's happening in my life. It's been 25 years, God's done nothing. And I think the church is much like Sarah. We believe God can do it, but we don't believe God can do it with us. We believe God can do it with Hagar. We believe God can do it with Abraham, but we're not sure God can do it with us. And I believe it's time for the church to say, I don't care if I've chuckled before, I believe, God, you're still gonna use my life to bring forth fruit. You're still gonna use my life to change the world, amen? 
you know, some of us are not spring chickens anymore. And yet I believe that when I get old, I'm gonna bear more fruit than I have now. Because I believe God's call on my life doesn't change because I got gray hair. I believe all the more so that God wants to use my life because maybe I've actually learned something about the Lord, amen? But it's interesting, in Genesis chapter 18, verse 13, the Bible says, uh, uh, he, uh, he says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? And then he says this, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Would you close your eyes for a moment? There's something in your life that I believe many of you have told the Lord is too hard for him. My marriage, my kids. You know what I've told the Lord? How are you gonna put white and black, United PC, Baptist, Pentecostals together? How does that ever happen? We don't even like each other. How are we gonna do that? You know what I've told the Lord many times? It's too hard for you to unite the church. But did you know when he was prophesying, he said this is the whole household of Israel. When you believe that God can do it in your life, God will use you to help others believe that he can do it in their life. All I am is a catalyst and maybe a cattle prod. So Father, in Jesus' name, whatever it is right now that we've said to you, it's too hard for, too hard for God. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Peter stepped out of the boat. You know, we give Peter a bad rap, but I would take Peter over any of the other disciples. I like to fight. I do. I was boxer and I wrestled. So when UFC came, it was like, praise God, let's put this thing together and go after it, right? I mean, it's like, I like to lead with my chin. I do. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I think Tom brings me because he knows, hey, listen, watch this guy lead with his chin. This is going to be fun. <laughs> and and, 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 and he, but here's the thing. Peter, the, the, Jesus is walking by and they all are afraid because they think they see a ghost. But it's interesting. Jesus tells them, don't be afraid. And Peter's probably heard that a lot from, from, from Jesus. And Peter says this, Lord, if it's you, command me to come. You see, here's what happens. You'll come to church. God will begin to move on your life. But you never say, if this is you, God, I'm gonna step out. We hear the sermon, we hear the word, we hear the preaching, we get excited. We're so excited God's doing something at City Church, but the truth of the matter is if God's put his finger on you and you say, if this is you touching me today, you need to say to the Lord, if this is you, bid me to come. And step out, and the Bible says he walked on the water to Jesus. He didn't sink the first step. I don't know if Jesus was three steps away from the boat or not, but if he was any distance at all, the rest of the disciples watched a crazy dude who realized that God was present and he said, if this is you, God, I wanna go. I think we need that spirit in the church again, don't we? That spirit that says, if you're speaking to us, God, we're stepping out. 
if this is you. Now, obviously, if it's bad pizza, that's another thing. But if this is you, Lord, bid me to come. And he steps out of the boat, amen? Then it's interesting because the next thing that happens is in Ezekiel 37 through 4 through 5, this is what he's told to do. And again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. God challenges Ezekiel to act upon what he sees. And this is what Ezekiel did. Ezekiel, when he knew it was the Lord, responded to what the Lord had. And the Bible says he prophesies to the bones. You see, there comes a time when you know God's going to do something. you got to speak it out. The Bible says anything that he shares with you in secret, you're to stand on the housetops and proclaim it. There comes a time that you have to put your words into your actions. When God created the worlds, the Bible said he didn't just think about them. The Bible said he did what? He spoke the worlds into existence. When he created man, what did he do? The Bible says he breathed into his nostrils and he became a living soul. There comes a time when you see what God is doing, you've got to speak it out. Here's the problem. Most of us are talking the devil's language. We've been partnering with the voice of the liar for so long. Talking about, oh, this is bad. Oh, this is hard. Oh, this is evil. Oh, this is no good. Oh, this is broken. Oh, my marriage will never change. My kid will never serve the Lord. My, my, my city is it, 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 just, you know, we talk about revival, but it's never going to happen. And by the way, all you're doing is partnering with the enemy. But there comes a time you have to start partnering with what you know God has said. And you don't even need me to preach it because it's in the word. You don't even have to make it up. All you have to do is do what the Bible says and speak it out. And you will be in the will of God speaking what God says. Amen. Jesus did not come to bring death. He came to bring life and that more abundantly. God is not interested in you sitting back and going, man, I hope my marriage changes. He wants to say no. In Jesus' name. This house will be a house of prayer for all the nations. We say it to our kids all the time. They roll their eyes. I say it, and, and I, I, I don't get tired of saying it. All of my kids, I say this. When I pray at night for them, I said, you are called, you're anointed, and you're a world changer. I don't want my kids to ever think they're anything less than when God has called them to be. And I think we need to quit telling the church what she isn't and start telling the church what she should be. Amen? I think we start telling the church, you are his answer to the world. You, you are his glorious bride. You are the one he adores. You are the one that God, you are the plan. By the way, we're the only plan for changing the world. Did you know that? The church is the only answer. God said, tag, you're it. We're it. So let's start acting like we're it. Start preaching like we're it. Amen? We, we, act like, we act like something, we're waiting for the next big name idol rock star pastor to do something in the city when God says, no, I've chosen sons and daughters for a reason. And once you understand who you are, you won't want to be anybody else. So does that make sense? Oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Not, not hear Anthony's word. Not hear a denomination's word. The word of the Lord. What is God saying? And, and by the way, our responsibility is know what God is saying. And then we speak what he says. We declare it, amen? 
In fact, the Bible says that any of you who speak for the Lord should speak as a oracle of God. The church has been giving you a lot of fluff, and we're not giving you the stuff. I'm not saying this church, but overall, there's a lot of how to fix this and seven ways to adjust that and seven habits of highly successful this, and there's all of those kinds of, and, and they're, they're great, but that doesn't change the world. What changed the world is the demonstration of the spirit and of power. That's why Paul said, I didn't come with eloquence of speech, but I came to you in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. Because it's the Holy Spirit that does the work that no man can do. Does that make sense? So he says, prophesy to these bones. We all know the story of Jesus and the fig tree. Jesus has just cursed the fig tree. They went away, and the next morning, in Mark chapter 11, verse 20, it says, now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots, and Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, catch this, have faith in God. Isn't it interesting? Before he says speak to it, he says you've got to have faith in God. There, there's a lot of people speaking all kinds of things for Jesus that God's not in. He's not just saying, well, I'm just going to speak blessing. We're going to have billions of dollars come to City Church. And we're, you know, we're just going to, we're, gonna, we're all going to drive nice cars. We're all going to, we're going to look good. We're, 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 I mean, the worship team is going to have the latest gear. It's going to be so amazing. God is just going to bless us. No, he's talking about speak the thing God is saying. Have faith in God. But if you have faith in God, friends, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask in prayer when you, when you pray, believe that you have received them and you will have them. He says, speak to the mountain. Some of us have mountains that we just need us to agree with what God says about that mountain. It's got to go. Does God say that a marriage should be terrible? So why don't you speak to the terrible marriage? Does God say that your kids should be isolated or cut off or, or or, or that they're wayward? Speak to what God told you about your kids. I, I want to share this for you, j- just so you know, just because I can. And that is, um, God has showed me with every one of my children what they're to be. And I don't tell them, but I sure tell it in prayer. I go to prayer and I say, Lord, this is what you told me about my son Mario. And you know what? Mario's becoming the very thing that God showed me he would be. I don't partner with when he was wayward. I partner with where God's taking him. You know, we say this all the time. I'm I'm sure you say it. We call out the golden people. Have you found gold in your family? Have you found gold in your city? Are there things about uh, Madison that you love? Do you declare, hey, God, thank you for the beauty of this city. Thank you, Lord God, that, that, that you're sending so many people moving into this area to be one to you. I mean, see, there comes a point that you have to partner with what God is doing, what God is saying, because it's easy to partner with the negative and the devil. Amen? And so sometimes you just have to speak to your mountain. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. 
you can actually change the culture of the city by simply saying the things God is saying. Did you know that? Just say the things God is saying. Amen? See, Ezekiel chapter 37, 6 and 7 says this. He says, I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and I, I prophesied there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. I'm going to here to tell you, when God begins to move and even more, he's beginning to move in this city. And by the way, if you were here Friday night, we saw God beginning to move in an unusual way here. I believe God is moving in this this church and in many churches in this area in an unusual way. And here's the thing I'm going to tell you. It's going to be a mess. Whether you like it or not, God starts with messes. I love it. He started with Pentecost before he had the fivefold ministry. He started with Pentecost before he had all the church structure and how to organize it. God likes to blow it up first and then help you and then help you understand how to put it in his order. Amen. I just know that's how God works. It's, by, by the way, when I first got saved, I was drug addicted. I was demonized. And when God set me free, I didn't know better. I thought I could fly. I literally thought I had so much weight off me, I felt like I could literally fly. I told my friends, I said, I think I can fly. And pe- people laugh about it. But if you've been so depressed, so discouraged, so beat down, and God does something to wonder, well, I was just crazy enough that I began to dance and pray and sing and shout and testify, and everybody thought, this guy's Looney Tunes. But what I've discovered is this. I was so bound that freedom felt so good. And when freedom comes to a city, I'm telling you, there's going to be some undignified things take place. And it'll be up to but see, guys like Pastor Tom are ready. You know why? He's not threatened by that. Chaos. We're, just, we're called to help set it into order. Not control it. Set it into order. But let me tell you something about order. You drive by the cemetery right where, our, where we're staying at the hotel. There's this beautiful cemetery. And they have little flowers on all the graves. And it's just gorgeous. I mean, it's the nicest place I've seen since I've been here. <laughs> and I love it. It's pretty. I saw the canals, but it's kind of brown water. We're not used to brown water here in Seattle. We don't, we're not used to brown water. But here's the point. The prettiest place I saw was still a graveyard because there's order in a graveyard, but there's no life there. And God is not interested. Religion wants to order things. Jesus didn't come to put things in order. He came to give life. And that more abundantly. On the day of Pentecost... How much order was there when everybody thought, you're drunk with wine. It's nine in the morning, and you're all drunk and babbling and speaking tongues and crazy stuff. And, 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 and by the way, God wasn't offended by it. In fact, it's interesting. If you study Pentecost, the Bible says devout Jews from all over came. God in one day did more than any Facebook post could ever do today. You know why? Because he sent out crazy, spirit-filled people to Ethiopia and Africa and Asia and all over the world who had just received. And these were devout Jews, so that means God can break a spirit of religion like that. 
God can take a religious spirit and pour his spirit. And when he breathes on you, he can break off the religious spirit. And the next thing you know, you've got the word, but you also have the experience of who God is. Amen. And they went all over the world and won the world to Jesus. Why? It didn't take, we didn't have pamphlets and bulletins and flyers and come to the, hear the revival guy. They had the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what God wants to do here. Do you agree with me? That's what God wants to do. Here's a point I want to also make is when God puts things back together, he doesn't leave any tribes out. He said it's for the whole house of Israel. And this is where I've had to repent many times because God has done some really cool stuff in our church. And, and see, our church is not our church, but you, you understand what I'm saying. We've had a lot of success even during COVID. Our church, we blossomed. We, we kept going. God provided. We had our best years of giving, everything. I mean, and six churches in our neighborhood closed down. And it grieves my heart. Because if I really want what God has, they have to be included. I don't just go, well, they should have prayed more. They should have had more faith. They should have had a lot of stuff. And, and, and religious pride is actually one of the great downfalls of Pentecostal churches. Because Pentecostal churches, we, we walk in the spirit and we see our brothers who don't. And it's like, dude, you're missing it. You only got half the, you only get one side of the coin. Flip the coin over, there's the other side. There's more, right? We always tell people, there's so much more, there's so much more. And what happens is we become critical in our spirit. But God says that the, the outpouring he's going to have is going to be for all the tribes. It's going to be for all the church. And by the way, this message isn't to the world. This message is the church. The church has to be revived before there can be a reformation. There has to be a revival of us, the way we live, the way we go after God, the way we pursue him, the way we love, before there can be a reformation in the world. We want our government to change, and God wants us to change. He says, man, judgment begins in the house of the Lord, Anthony. Why don't you get it straight? Get what's, our job is to be responsible for what God has called us to be and be filled so he can send us to who he wants us to go to. Does that make sense? See, Ezekiel 37, 9 and 10, it says this. He says, and he said to me, prophesy to the Beth. Now remember, they've got this, 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 this group of people that are laying on the ground. They're not even standing up yet, and they're, but they're all together. Everything's put in order. And he also said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on the slain that they may live. Did you catch that? So I prophesied as, I was as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood up to their feet, an exceedingly great army. It's interesting that God doesn't use church. He doesn't use Israel. He uses the word army for a reason. You see, but the problem is, is that I think even the disciples were a lot like the Pharisees. When Jesus came and he says, I'm bringing the kingdom of God, right? And they thought, oh, this is it. This is what Ezekiel is talking about, the great army. He's breathed on us, the God's moving, the, we believe in the Holy Spirit now, things are happening, and what we're going to see is we are going to do a takeover. And I believe that even Peter, when Jesus is in the garden and he pulls out his sword and he cuts off the ear, 
he felt like he was just fulfilling this thing. I believe they all knew Ezekiel. They all knew that, that God, that, that when the Messiah came, he was going to pour out his spirit, and they were going to have new hearts and new flesh, but they didn't understand. God is not raising up a militant army of vengeance. He's raising up a goodness army. See, God's trying to create a goodness army, an army that will do good. See, the Bible says the way you defeat evil is by doing good. But even the disciples, the Pharisees, the reason why they rejected Jesus as the Messiah is because he couldn't amass an army. He couldn't bring the army of God together and, and do that. He, he couldn't, he couldn't, he, he rode in on a donkey, he didn't ride in on a horse. Because Jesus was never talking about an army that takes over. He's talking about an army that releases the goodness of God. See, that's the Bible says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me not to take over, but to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to loose chains of the prisoners, to set the captives free, to, to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. There comes a point, church, where we have been fighting with the world's weapon and getting the world's results. God has called us the army of God, but the army of God that he's breathing on, that he's raising up, that's in his power is a goodness army. Jesus, the Bible said that God filled him with the Holy Spirit and he went about doing good and, and, and delivering everyone that was oppressed of the devil because God was with him. That's what the book of Acts 10, 38 tells me. There comes a time, church, the reason why we want this isn't so that we can be powerful. It's so that the goodness of God can be released over our cities. Amen? I want to tell you a, a picture that was given to me. It's a, it's a true story. It's uh, from my mentor, Pastor Cornish, who lived, who grew up in Manitoba, Canada, and he was the son of a wheat farmer. And he tells me this story when I was younger and I was under him. He told me this story and I never will forget it. it it's changed the way I view things. And he tells the story of uh, his family had a big wheat farm and there was all these wheat farmers and, and, and this one spring, they had a beautiful spring and they planted and they, they, everybody planted and the wheat was coming up and it was getting to be harvest time. It was getting towards the end of the summer and all of the farmers were struggling because they would see these beautiful stalks of wheat, but what they noticed that when they took the head and they rubbed it together and they tried to bite down on it, it would just disintegrate. And it was this soft wheat, and, and wheat has to get hardened on the inside. And so they, they met at the Grange Hall. Anybody know what a Grange Hall is around here? There's a Grange Hall, and they all met one, one day, and they were talking about it, and, he, and here's the conversation. He was a kid. He says he's sitting there, and, and, and they would say, well, what seed are you using? Well, I use this seed. Well, I'm using this seed, and, and, and they came to conclude there was nothing wrong with the seed because there is nothing wrong with the word of God. And then they said, well, what about the fertilizer? Well, we use this type of fertilizer. Well, we use this type of fertilizer. Well, we use this. And it's almost like denominations. We have different ways in which we give the word. And, and so, so what's happened is they're looking around and they don't know, well, why is every crop no good? And then a wise old farmer stood up and this is what he said. He said, this summer we have had no wind. And it's the wind that strengthens the stock. 
that creates the hardness and the germination. I don't know how it all works. I'm not a farmer yet, but I live in farm country now, so I better start. (laughs) But here's the thing is, if you were to look at that field, it looked beautiful. If you were to drive by it, you would think it's a bumper crop. The grain looked good, the husks and the stalks were perfect, and yet none of it was edible because it was lacking the most important ingredient, the wind of God. You know what we're lacking right now? We're lacking the breath of God. I'm gonna ask that you would do something very, 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 to me it's very important, that you would invite Holy Spirit to breathe on you, and I'm gonna believe, God, I have this picture that in this room, it's gonna be like a wheat field where the wind just comes and it causes swaying. Spirit of God will breathe over this whole congregation, and you'll begin to feel the presence and power of the Holy Spirit strengthen you, strengthen your inner man, creating you fruitfulness for this world. I'm just going to wait a minute before they start singing the song and just keep playing. And I want you to wait for a minute. And I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to ask my father, would he come and would the wind blow on the wheat in this room today? invite and breathe on my dry bones breathe on my dry bones Lord oh breath of God come wind of heaven would you breathe Holy Spirit raise up an army a goodness army lovers of Jesus madly passionately devoted in love with Jesus we need you Holy Spirit Thank you.